following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Now, let me just uh, recap where we are in the series in Exodus. We've worked our way through this book for a lot of the year now, majority of the year. And we've, we've completed the Exodus journey in a sense. The first half of the book of Exodus is taken up with this journey of the Israelites from being a slave people in Egypt through to being a freed people at the foot of Mount Sinai where they meet with God. And that's, that's what Exodus is most known for. When you think of the book of Exodus, you think of the, the Exodus journey itself. But that is only half the book. And now we are immersed in the second half of Exodus, which is all the good stuff. All the stuff of God giving the law, all the intricacies of the law to Israel, all of the construction of the tabernacle, all of the minutia of the priestly garments as Hamish unpacked for us last week. And this is often the stuff that people do find heavier going in the book of Exodus, a bit hard to see the wood for the trees sometimes in this particular section. This is, we're kind of in the part of the Bible that people get to after they've made a New Year's resolution to read through the whole Bible. This is where they stop. This is where it all crashes and burns. They get to the halfway through the book of Exodus and it's just, what is this? And they just get mired in the stuff that they can't make sense of. And then, of course, if you make it out of Exodus alive, it only gets worse because you get to Leviticus. So it's out of the frying pan into the fire anyway. But as Hamish beautifully illustrated last week, there is a richness to this stuff. In Exodus, there is a richness to even the smallest details of the priestly garments and the givings of the law and the details of the tabernacle. Unpacking these things uh, sheds real light, not only on the story of Exodus, but on the whole of the biblical story and sheds light on Jesus. And that's the point. That's why we're doing this. So persevere and hang in there. And this really is a, a rich and beautiful part of Scripture if we're prepared to sit with it long enough. So we are talking about the Sabbath today. This, uh, these instructions around the Sabbath day. And let me just ask, uh, by, by way of a show of hands, those of you that grew up in, in Christian homes, how many of you had rules around what you couldn't do on a Sunday? Quite a few. Or if you were Seventh-day Adventist, uh, what you couldn't do on a Saturday? Yeah. Anyone want to call out what those rules were? Any, any examples? What couldn't you do? Couldn't do shopping, mowing the lawns, TV, anything else that you couldn't do? Couldn't play sport. Thank you, Michael Jones. Couldn't play rock and roll specifically. What, but you could play other, other kinds of music, Gary. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> so all kinds of restrictions. I had a friend who uh, they were allowed to ride their bikes on the Sabbath day, but not do jumps. Seriously. That was the thing, because that would be having fun. So they, had to, they could just had to keep on the straight and narrow, so to speak. Uh, I don't remember any particular rules in my family, but I think my parents had some growing up. They couldn't go to the dairy or something like that. I think probably if you go back a generation or two, this was more pronounced. Would that be right? Uh, that Christian families a generation or two back had a few more restrictions around what they would or wouldn't do on Sunday or for Seventh-day Adventist Saturday. Uh, but there's been a shift, I think, in the past 10, 20, 30, 40 years uh, to being more open and more relaxed around what we do and engage in on, on a Sunday, on the Lord's Day. So for Israel, for Old Testament Israel, the Sabbath was very, very important, incredibly important. As far as we know, Israel, ancient Israel, was the only nation to have anything like this. There are some parts of Israel's law 
that overlapped with other nations around them. Other ancient people groups had some similar things to some bits of the Israelite law, but not the Sabbath. This was unique. This was unique to Judaism. No one else practiced anything like the Sabbath. It was incredibly important for them. It was a central part of their identity as a nation. It was a central part of what it meant for them to be set apart as the people of God. And God himself took the Sabbath incredibly seriously. It was a matter of life and death for Israel, the Sabbath. You hear that in, in this verse. Anyone who works on the Sabbath, what's happening to them? They get put to death. Imagine if we had that law today. Anyone working on the Sunday? put to death. Capital punishment, that was how it actually worked. And there is actually a story in the book of Numbers of this happening. There's a guy who goes and gathers firewood on the Saturday, was the Jewish Sabbath, and he's brought to trial. And God specifically says about this guy, he must be put to death. And he's taken out of the camp and stoned by the entire community. Now you could look at that and say, that's an extraordinary overreaction to a day of rest. But it shows you the incredible seriousness with which God took the Sabbath. This wasn't just a piece of good advice. It wasn't just, hey, just take a day off if you can manage it and try not to work too hard. This was a bedrock part of Israel and the, and the law of the Jewish people. And God took it incredibly, incredibly seriously. The reason that God took it so seriously, you start to see when you look at the reasons for the law being given in the first place. The, the Sabbath command is not just here in Exodus 31. It's also back in the Ten Commandments. You remember? It's the fourth of the Ten Commandments. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And both here in Exodus 31 and in Exodus 20, where the Ten Commandments are given, the Sabbath is explicitly linked to creation. There's an explicit link there. In this case, in Exodus 31, verse 17, God says, It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. So there's this connection between Israel's rhythm of working and resting and God's own pattern of creating the world. Back in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the world, creates the cosmos in six days. Uh, they may not have been literal 24-hour days. There's some debate over that, but that's, that doesn't matter for this discussion. The point is there were six of them, six periods of time, six days. He works for six days, and then he rests on the seventh day. Now, here's the question. Why did God rest? Why did God rest on the seventh day? He didn't need to, right? It's not like he got tired, wore himself out from creating the world, needed to take himself off for a bit of a lie down. God's got a boundless supply of energy. So why did he rest? He rested in the sense of delighting in what he'd made. He rested in the sense of enjoying and stepping back from his creation and basking in it and soaking it in and saying, this is very good and surveying all it had made and taking joy in it. The Sabbath wasn't a day of endless activity for God. It was a day of celebrating and enjoying and delighting in what he'd made. And in giving us the Sabbath, God wants us to practice that day in a similar way. There's an interesting little detail in the text of Genesis 1 and 2 in these seven days of creation. For the first six days, you have this phrase at the end of each day, evening passed and morning came, and that was the first day. Evening passed, morning came, that was the second day. On and on it goes. But with the seventh day, you don't get that. There is no evening passed and morning came, that was the seventh day. There's the sense in the text that the seventh day continues. 
that somehow this resting of God that happened on the seventh day of creation is an ongoing rest, a continual rest. And I think that takes us into something about who God is. That what God is showing us is that he is defined by a continual resting. That God's essence is to rest. That there are these relationships going on for all eternity between Father, Son, and Spirit all around us from eternity past to eternity future. And these relationships within the Trinity are defined by rest. There is a restfulness at the heart of God. There is this, this loving relationships that are peaceful, that are tranquil, that are life-giving. Each member of the Trinity being renewed, being refreshed, being reinvigorated by one another. God is a God whose essence is rest. And then out of the overflow of his restfulness, God offers us the gift of Sabbath. And so Sabbath is far more than a day off work. Sabbath is an invitation into the restfulness of the Trinity. Sabbath is our invitation to participate in the restfulness of God's own being, far deeper than just having a break from work. This is about aligning our lives with a God whose nature is rest, because God has been the original Sabbath keeper, and now God's embedded Sabbath in the fabric of creation. When he created the world, he, he embedded it into the world. He embedded it into our DNA. So he made Sabbath part of what it means to be deeply and fully human. So that when we keep Sabbath, we're not just being good Christians. We are moving with the grain of the universe as God designed it, as God created it. We are aligning ourselves with God. We are being most fully and deeply human. We are living well before God when we keep Sabbath. We are in some way reflecting God. Maybe we could even say that the practice of Sabbath is part of what it means to bear the image of God. And this is what it meant for Israel. When they practiced Sabbath, this is why it was so important not to break it. They were imaging the God of rest. That's why even, even a guy going and gathering firewood on the Sabbath was a violation of Israel's identity as the people of God because then they were failing to mirror the restfulness of God. God's purpose was that this nation would be set apart and would be a display of the restfulness of God who loved humanity enough and gave them enough dignity to grant them rest, to grant them a certain restfulness in their working lives. And now by practicing Sabbath, Israel bears witness to who Yahweh is, to who God is in his own being. That's why this is so important. To fail at keeping Sabbath for Israel was to fail in their very vocation of showing the world who God is. So the Sabbath was vitally important for Israel. Right through their history, through the Old Testament times, through the New Testament time, through today, for observant Jews, the Sabbath, they call it Shabbat today, a variation of the Hebrew word Shabbat. It's still very, very important within Jewish communities. We found this when we went to Israel last year. You get towards the end of Friday, because Saturday is the, is the Jewish Sabbath. Well, really, it's sundown Friday from, to sundown Saturday. But you get towards the end of the, the Friday and Jews are taking off. They're, they're, and not because they're lazy, because they're getting ready for Shabbat. Because they're going home to prepare the festive meal. Because they're gathering their family and they're getting the preparations so that they can celebrate. There's several festive meals that go on during the course of Shabbat. And on a Saturday, it's hard to find a Jewish business that's open. 
because they, they, they just don't open shop. In fact, some of them, what they'll do, if, they, if they're in a business that has to stay open on a Saturday, they'll get non-Israelis, non-Jews, to work the business so that Jews can observe the Sabbath. Not all of them do this, but certainly observant and orthodox Jews. It's a big deal. The Sabbath is a huge deal within Israel, and they've got something to teach us. They've got something to show us, I think, about what it means to honor this day, to do what God did, to set apart this day as holy. And we talked about holiness the other week, meaning other. To take this day and make it another kind of day, a different kind of day to the others. Jewish communities show us this every week. I think they've got a lesson to teach us. So if we jump back to Jesus' day for a minute, back from our day, but on from the Exodus story, back, back to Jesus' day. Jesus got embroiled in this whole Sabbath controversy because in the New Testament time, one of the debates that was raging in Palestine was what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. You have some of these debates today in Christian circles, but this was a big debate within Judaism. The Old Testament spells out a few things that you can't do, gives some definition of what constitutes work, but not a whole lot. And so the Pharisees seized on the opportunity where there's any vagueness in the law whatsoever. They rushed in with a hundred different rules to fill the space. And they did this with the Sabbath. They put all kinds of minute little rules around people. So there was absolutely no possible way you could even get anywhere near anything that could be construed as work. So for example, if you were a tailor, a seamstress, you couldn't carry a needle in your pocket on the Sabbath day, lest you be tempted to pull it out and stitch a patch onto something, which could then be construed as work. So this was the kind of absurdity that they'd gotten to, these kind of trivial sorts of rules. And Jesus and his disciples get all tangled up in this. In Mark chapter 2, just flick over there for a second, this, this controversy that Jesus gets into, his disciples and he are walking through the grain fields in Galilee on, on a Saturday. And they're hungry. And so his disciples start picking some of the heads of grain and eating them. Now, technically, according to the Old Testament, that constituted working. Because one of the definitions of work that is given, and this is there in the law, the Old Testament, is that reaping and harvesting were a form of work. And so arguably, just picking grain and eating it, that is a sort of a form of reaping. It's a form of harvesting crops for the purpose of consumption. And so the Pharisees called Jesus on this. Even though he wasn't technically participating in this as far as we know. The Pharisees saw Jesus as the rabbi. He's responsible for his disciples. So they say, Jesus, what's going on? Your disciples are breaking the law. Quite seriously, they're breaking one of the Ten Commandments. And interestingly here in Mark 2, Jesus doesn't disagree with them. He doesn't dispute their interpretation of the law. He doesn't say, no, 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 you've read, you've read the Torah wrong. What they're doing is actually compliance. He doesn't. By implication, Jesus accepts the fact that his disciples have broken the Sabbath commandment. They have even violated the fourth of the Ten Commandments. But he justifies that on completely different grounds. He shifts the whole debate. And he says this in Mark 2, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath, the Shabbat, was given to us as a gift. Wasn't given to us to be a legalistic rule. Wasn't given to be this onerous burden that gets placed on us and all this stuff you can't do and these obligations and these restrictions that are a heavy weight around our neck. The Sabbath was given as gift. It was intended to be blessing. 
It was intended to be life. It was intended as a way of enabling us to participate in the restfulness of God. The Sabbath should be liberating for people. The Sabbath is made for man, not man to conform to this impossible standard of Sabbath. And then Jesus says something even more controversial in verse 28. He says, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now that is controversial. Even if you can explain away the previous verse, what Jesus is doing here unavoidably is placing himself above the Sabbath law. The Son of Man, that's him. That's how he referred to himself often. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am now assuming authority over the Sabbath commandment, over the law itself. Who gets to do that? Nobody except God. That's it. You can't elevate yourself above the Torah unless you are the Torah giver who is Yahweh. Jesus is effectively saying here, I am God because I am now taking authority. Not only did he keep the Sabbath commandment, but he takes authority over the Sabbath commandment. Because the reality is the Sabbath law was fulfilled in and through Jesus. We looked at this when we talked about the other Ten Commandments, how the entire law in the Old Testament always pointed to Christ was never given just for its own sake in the fullness of time in the biblical story. It was given to point us to Jesus, to drive us to Christ. The law is a shadow, Scripture says, of the greater things, the greater realities that are yet to come. So when you look at the Sabbath law, you're looking at a shadow. And the point of the shadow is not to keep staring at the shadow. It's to turn around and see what's casting the shadow. And what casts the great shadow of the Sabbath is the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Sabbath. That's the most important thing I'm going to say in this message. So if, you, if you're sleeping up to this point, wake up, listen to that, write that down. You can go back to daydreaming about the rugby now. Jesus is our Sabbath. Christ is our Sabbath. That is why all these debates about what you, exactly what you can and can't do on the Sabbath, both ancient and modern, are so trivial because the Sabbath is no longer a day. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus. That's why the bickering about whether it's Saturday or Sunday is basically irrelevant because the Sabbath is no longer a period of time. It's a person. It's the person of Christ. It's Jesus. He is our Sabbath. Why? Because he gives us true rest. Didn't Jesus say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus invites us to receive him as our true Sabbath. Jesus offers himself to us as the true Shabbat, the true rest of God. Jesus is the only one who gives us real rest, not just physical rest, but rest from all of our striving and trying and earning and being better and behaving ourselves so we can try and stand accepted before God. Jesus brings all that to an end. Jesus gives you rest from trying to be approved by God in and of yourself. He says it's hopeless, it's futile, but I've done it. I'm accepted, Jesus says, and so now you are accepted in me. Christ gives us rest from our need to be accepted by God in and of ourselves. We can't, but he is, and therefore we are. He gives us rest from our endless searching for identity. Who am I? What does it mean to be human? Who, who am I truly and deeply? And what does it mean to be me? Jesus gives us rest from all that by saying, you're a child of God. Your identity is in me. You, you're only going to know who you are when you know whose you are. You're mine. 
He gives us rest. He gives us rest from all of our strivings after meaning and purpose and hope and life. It's all found in Jesus. It's all found in him. Augustine, the great father of the church, said this toward God. You have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Your heart's always going to be restless until it finds its rest, true spiritual rest in the person of Jesus Christ. Your soul will always be restless until it finds its anchorage in the safe harbor of God's rest. Only Christ provides deep rest for our soul. So for us, to truly practice the Sabbath is to find our rest in Christ. If all you do is take a day off from work, but you're not abiding in Jesus, it's pointless. It might still be helpful in a physical sense, but you've missed the point of the biblical story. Everything else we say about Sabbath, and there is more to say, but everything else we say must begin with the reality that Christ has fulfilled the law and he is our Sabbath. And for us to be a Sabbath people means to find our rest spiritually, deeply in Christ, for us to abide in him. That means you can have Sabbath rest 24-7. It means even tomorrow in the busyness of work or your home life or your social life, no matter how turbulent is around you, no matter how busy you are, you can be resting. Your soul can be resting. You can still experience Shabbat in the inner depths of your soul, because you know Christ. Your soul can still be at rest, no matter how busy you are. Jesus is our true rest. That's what we've got to grasp about Sabbath in the biblical story. Now, on the other side of all that, the question then becomes, well, what do we do practically? Should we still keep a Sabbath day? Should we just ignore it now? Jesus has come. He's our Sabbath. As long as we've got that, as long as we know Jesus, are we good? Uh, do we need to worry about taking a day of the week? Well, maybe it's helpful to think about the other Ten Commandments. The Sabbath, after all, sits there as the fourth of the Ten Commandments. Do we say about all of the others, now that Jesus has come, we'll throw them out? Do not murder, do not commit adultery, they don't matter now that Christ has come. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We don't throw the Ten Commandments out, we reinterpret them in view of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. We don't apply them verbatim because we are Christians. We see the fullness of the biblical story now. But... We take these commands, including Sabbath, and we say, what does this mean? Now, in view of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. This is exactly what the early church did. They had to figure this out. They had to say, well, we've been observing Shabbat on a Saturday. Now, what do we do? And what they chose to do is to take the day of resurrection, to take Sunday. The day on which Christ was raised from the dead, the beginning of God's new world, the, the beginning of the kingdom, and to take that as their Sabbath. So they recognized that Jesus was their Sabbath. They saw that. They saw Christ as the fulfillment of the law. But they said, this is still an important practice. The practical outworking of Sabbath, because what we're doing when we keep Shabbat is we are giving outward expression to what has happened inwardly. We're expressing something that's happened on the inside, which is that Jesus gives us true rest. But the practice of Sabbath, they still found important. And they've handed that on to us today. We don't practice Sabbath anymore as a law. It's not a means of earning favor with God. It's not a legalistic requirement. It's not just a rule to keep. We practice Sabbath as a means of grace, as an expression of grace in our life, as an outworking of having found Christ's rest. We found our rest in Him, and now we give expression to that. We witness to that by keeping Sabbath, by being a Sabbath people. And I would say that this is vitally important 
in our day of massive busyness and overactivity. In some ways, you start talking about Sabbath, you start talking about taking an entire day of the week, not to work, to shift gears, to slow down, to shift your pace. It just sounds a bit fanciful for a lot of people because our working lives are so extreme, they're getting busier and busier and busier. We live frenetic lives, fast-paced lives. We're pulled this way and that by all kinds of commitments. Now we've got our work in our pocket because it's only a click away on the phone or the tablet. You're all as connected to your work now as you want to be because as soon as you open up that email, it's right there. That whole world comes alive to you. So we're constantly connected to our working lives and the idea of taking a day, carving a day out, can just sound fanciful. But maybe it's precisely because we are so busy that we desperately need Sabbath. Maybe it's more needed in our modern culture than in other previous generations. Let me read you a quote by a guy called Walter Brueggemann who wrote a book called Sabbath as Resistance. He says, Thus I have come to think that the fourth commandment on Sabbath is the most difficult and the most urgent of the commandments in our society because it summons us to intent and conduct that defies the most elemental requirements of a commodity-propelled society that specializes in control and entertainment along with anxiety and violence. In our own contemporary context of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath is an act of both resistance and alternative. So you may have been hoping that I was just going to say, well, Jesus is our Sabbath, so now we don't have to worry about observing this particular day. But the day is still important because it still aligns us with the restfulness of God. It is still what God has given us as a gift to be most deeply and fully human. It's still connected to our identity as God's image bearers. The Sabbath is important. It's vital for us. Now, that doesn't mean that we just take a day of doing absolutely nothing. The Sabbath day is not about just complete inactivity. I don't think that's what it was for God on the seventh day. It wasn't just a day when he did nothing. But it's a day when we orientate ourselves around the presence of God. Maybe a better way of thinking about this is to take the word rest and extend it out to restoration. Sabbath is about engaging in things that bring restoration into our lives. We spend the entire week being depleted, having the life sucked out of us by other people, by work, by other organizational commitments, by whatever it is. Our souls are eroded. We are warped and bent and twisted out of shape. And Sabbath is a gift to come and realign ourselves again with the restfulness of God, to come and recalibrate our lives at the cross and rediscover who we are as people of the crucified and risen Messiah, Jesus. Sabbath is a gift to us so that we would reorientate our lives around God. And as we do that, as we gather here on Sabbath, as we make this a priority, we are bearing witness to the world. This is an act of resistance against the, the massively consumptive and overcommitted culture that we live in this is an act of resistance it's an act of quiet resistance against the chaos and the turbulence of the world by being a sabbath people we're saying no to that we still live in the world we still have fast-paced lives but we are saying no we're not going to be dominated by the machine of our culture we're not going to be dominated by the rat race of anxiety god has given us a different way of living there is a different way of being human and God has called us to model that to the world, 
as a gift to others, just as the Shabbat set Israel apart from all nations. The Shabbat should set the church apart today. It should be part of our witness to the world so that we give the world a glimpse of who God is and we show the world there is a restfulness that's available in the Trinity. And we're just giving a little bit of expression to that by being a Sabbath-keeping people. So that means for us choosing to engage in activities that bring restoration into our lives. One of those is gathering with God's people, like we're doing now. I talked about the importance of gathering as a church a couple of weeks ago. I won't belabor the point, but these gatherings are important. This is a vital part of Sabbath, being a Sabbath community. We come together to reorientate our lives around our true north, Jesus, so that we go out here empowered by His Spirit, refreshed by His grace, renewed by one another, ready to face another week. Now, it doesn't have to be Sunday. There's no law, there's no rigid law that says Sabbath must be Sunday or Saturday or whatever. I take Monday as my day off, as my Lord's day, as my Sabbath, because Sunday's a working day for me. It makes sense, though, to make Sabbath whatever day it is that your church gathers, because the gathering of God's people is an important part of Sabbath. So if your church, like this one, gathers on a Sunday, it makes sense to align those two things together, if you possibly can. But it doesn't have to be. The important thing is that we take a day for renewal and for spiritual reorientation. Choose to engage in things that are going to bring spiritual renewal into your life. Time in God's Word. Time in prayer. Time just being still. Time being with family. But not in a way of just doing tasks. Not in a way of just running errands and doing jobs all day, but time that actually prioritizes relationships that are important to you, that you can be a blessing to others. Time that prioritizes listening and conversation. Do those things on your Sabbath that draw you close to God. Maybe it's going for a walk, getting close to nature. Maybe it's listening to music. Maybe it's just being still. Maybe it's praying, whatever it is. Do those things. Prioritize those things that draw you near to God and you'll find rest for your soul. And that is going to mean at times giving up some things as well. There is a cost to practicing this. We should expect that to be the way though, shouldn't we? I mean, our culture is so geared against this. And the evil one hardly wants us to get into this kind of thing. We should expect that if we want to commit to the practice of Sabbath today, it's going to, it's going to require some sacrifice. I remember when Anna and I were dating in our young adult years, we decided one of the commitments we made is that we were going through uni at the time and we decided that we wouldn't study on a Sunday. I'm not saying you have, young adults, you have to follow this yourselves but that's a commitment that we made because a we wanted to prioritize church in our lives it was important to us and I wasn't working for a church by the way so I wasn't being paid to do that but we just we believed church was important we believed the Lord's day was important so we decided as we go through these uni degrees and Anna was doing a double degree we're not going to study on Sunday we're not going to study for exams we're not going to do coursework we're not even going to do course reading we're going to have this day and I remember at least once there was an exam on Monday and I'm not, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal, please hear my heart, but I kept that commitment because it was important and it was a way of glorifying God in our lives. Yes, it meant we had to work a bit harder at other times. Yes, it meant we needed to be a little bit more organized with study. And believe it or not, students, you can do that. You can work ahead, even if the assignment's due at midnight on Sunday night. You, yes, you're going to have to be a little bit more self-disciplined. Yes, you're going to have to be a little bit more organized with your time, but you can do it. There's a cost to it, there's a sacrifice to it, but I tell you what, there's a gift to it. It's an amazing gift of receiving Shabbat, receiving the blessing of God through a day of rest, a day of realigning your life around God. It's an immense gift, 
But it will mean in every case, that's just one example, but in every case there will be a cost. There will be something that has to be traded off. It may put a little bit more pressure on other parts of your week and something else may need to go. You may need to be more organized. Now I know for some people you might be in a situation where it's physically impossible, where you're on shift work and you just can't, it just doesn't, doesn't work unless you're going to quit your job to do this. Uh, your shifts just don't work that way. Maybe you've got young kids like we do, and you think, well, what are you going to do? Lock the kids in the room for a day? See you, kids. We're observing Sabbath. I mean, have, have fun on your own little Sabbath in your room. Right? You, can't do, you can't just get rid of your family for a day. What, what, what are you going to do? Some of you have an unpredictable travel schedule with work. I know there's all these restrictions, right? This is us. I'm in that world too, by the way. But, you know, there's a step you can take, isn't there? There's a st- please don't say, well, I can't do any of it. Please don't say, well, I can't get the whole day free, so I'm not going to do anything. You can take a step. You can do something. Maybe it's saying, I'll take half a day. I'll start with half a day. I'll prioritize church, I'll, you know, family time, whatever it is. I'm going to take half a day a week, and I'm going to guard it and protect it. And it won't just be self-indulgence. It will be a day of spiritual reorientation around God. Maybe you say, all right, my shifts work in runs of 10, so it's going to have to be a day in 10 rather than a day in 7 after I come off night shifts, whatever it is. You know how it works in your life. Just think it through. Work it through. Figure it out. Can you, are you willing to make a commitment before God? It's not, 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 not before anyone else. This is between you and the God of Sabbath to say, I'm going to take a step towards this because I see this as being important. I see this as being biblical. We've lost sight of this. I could list off all of the Ten Commandments now and we'd all be nodding our heads, wouldn't we? Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Honor your father and mother. But what about keep the Sabbath? Hmm. Yeah. Maybe. We break one of the Ten Commandments every single week, don't we? If we're honest. We take it with far less seriousness than the others. And it shouldn't be so. But please, again, don't hear this as legalism. Don't hear this as beating you over the head in some kind of guilt trip. The Sabbath was made for man, not us for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was given to us as gift. And when we practice Sabbath, when we become a Sabbath community, you know what we're doing? We're anticipating something that's yet to come. Hebrews says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. In other words, there's another Sabbath coming. There's a great Sabbath coming. When Jesus returns, when God says, I'm making all things new, when the world is renewed, heaven and earth come together, that will be the true and final and perfect Shabbat. And the restfulness of God will descend upon this earth in all its glory, and we won't even need a day off because we will be so enveloped in the restfulness of the Trinity. Our lives will be consumed by rest. Not in activity, not passivity. We'll be doing all kinds of things in the new creation, but we will be so at rest while we're doing it. We won't even need this observance of one and seven. But en route to that destination, we do need it. We do need Sabbath. We need it for our souls. And we need it for the glory of God. So I encourage us, I encourage myself, because I'm not perfect at it either. I struggle to make Sabbath the priority it should be in my life. But I encourage all of us, let's put this front and center again in our lives. Let's reclaim the importance of the Shabbat in our day and age. Our culture needs it. We desperately need it. May we be a Sabbath community. May we be Sabbath people so that we live in a way that is most deeply and truly human, so that we witness to the world that there is another way of living, 
beside the frenetic rat race of anxiety that everyone's engaged in, including us often. And so that we align our lives with the God whose very nature is rest. Let's enjoy and embrace the gift that Sabbath is into our lives, into our families, into our church community. Let's pray. God, we, we confess as we think about the Sabbath that we don't really even know how to rest, many of us. We're so relentlessly driven, so constantly moving, we don't even know how. We feel guilty when we relax. There's always more to do. But God, here and now, we want to say to you that we see how important the Sabbath is to you, even if it's not important to us and even if we don't know how to do it. God, you loved us enough to give us the gift of rest. You loved us enough to keep the Sabbath and to offer it to us. And so now, God, by the strength of your Spirit, we want to say to you just in the quietness of our hearts that we will commit to this. And we say that not even quite knowing what it's going to involve yet. And it may mean some adjustments and it may mean some change of schedules and it may mean reordering priorities and, and I don't know exactly what it's going to mean but God, we want to say to you that it's this important, we will do this. But we'll do it only, Jesus, because we see you as the true Sabbath. Father, we're not committing to this out of any sense of trying and striving. We want to start, Jesus, by seeing you and thanking you for being our true spiritual rest. And we pray that our keeping of Sabbath would be an overflow of that. Show us what this means in our lives. Show us what this means in our family. Show us what Sabbath could look like at its best. Show us the celebration and the joy that could flow back into our lives as we embrace your gift of Sabbath. Thank you, God, that we find our true rest in you. In Christ's name, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.